If you enjoy Champions for Children, be sure to check out the new podcast from Nemours Children's Health, Well Beyond Medicine. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts or at NemoursWellBeyond.org to continue hearing the stories of anything and everything related to the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. And now, the episode of Champions for Children you requested. Enjoy! Welcome once again to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. I'm Carol Vassar. Today we'll hear from an orthopedic surgeon and how he copes with failure. But first, let's meet the CEO of the Nemours Delaware Valley, Dr. Jay Greenspan. He continues to practice neonatology while leading the Delaware Valley region and is a key leadership figure when it comes to the Nemours response to COVID-19. But I'm getting ahead in the story. Dr. Greenspan came to pediatric medicine the way most people do. He wanted to help kids. He began his career as a general pediatrician and soon discovered his talents and interest lay in the specialty of intensive care. Yet time spent on rotations in the pediatric intensive care unit, the PICU, proved to be emotionally daunting for a man who, beneath it all, is as kind and empathetic as they come. So I really enjoyed the physiology and the challenge of intensive care, but uh, doing PICU was too traumatic for me emotionally. So the only other intensive care was neonates. And actually, it was really interesting because when I was starting, uh, it was really a young field, a lot of excitement in terms of you know change, saving babies earlier and earlier, a lot of research. It was just a, a good time to get into that field. They didn't start, you know, ventilating babies until late 70s. All the stuff was happening in the 80s and early 90s in terms of saving lives. And you've been here 20 years. You're now the CEO of the Delaware Valley uh, region. And um, what made you want to switch over to the administrative side of the house? Lots of short straws along the way. <laughs> okay. I like your honesty. I really do. Um, <laughs> let, let me poke at what you said a little bit earlier. You said you didn't want to do pick you. You found it emotionally a little difficult. Can I? Yeah, poke there's at a that four-year-old. There's a four-year-old who came in. I really loved it. My first rotation. And this is a resident, and I was going to do it. And you have a lot of time in residency to, to pick you, especially. Um, so you only have about eight weeks, you know, a couple of rotations. And um, I was doing great in pick you. And then I had a four-year-old, beautiful kid come in near drowning. And, you know, the story was just a little pool outside, you know, one of those blow-up pools. Mom said over and over again, I just, I just lost him for a second. He just left me for a second. It was just a second, doctor. Really, honestly, it couldn't be more than that. You know, he's going to be okay, right? And he was brain dead. And, um, you know, we just spent the whole week with that traumatic event. And um, it just broke my heart. 
So is, um, I think that's every mother's nightmare, every parent's nightmare. Is, there's a couple of them like that, but drowning, any sudden, especially when you have kids. I don't know how if you have kids, but when you have kids around that age, you know, cancer. Oh, it just I couldn't be an oncologist. Even today I go, I tell the picky doc, nurses and docs, when I go in there, I just my blood pressure goes up a little bit. I just sweat a little, you know, it's just a scary environment. Lots of kids have been normal, normal, normal picky. And even though some of them do fine, just too many don't. And, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, I visit these kids, uh, you know, in my role. And, you know, last week there was a 17-year-old who was just at the beach and jumped in and broke his neck, you know, head first. And, you know, now he's, you know, he's got a broken neck. Uh, it's like, I, I can't, you know, and the parents are like, like their lives over. So... That's that's me. So you went from pick you to neonatology, right? And you practice that still. Yes, you do, and yeah. and, and you're the CEO. Yeah. How do you balance? On the side. How do you come aside? <laughs> how do you balance that? Um, I love medicine, so NICU you can do a week at a time. So I'm just sort of like instead of a, a vacation, I do NICU. You know, it's just worth it to me, and I do think it makes me a better leader. To, to be in touch with what everyone's doing. I've, I was department chair before I became CEO. I've, been, I've just been CEO for a year. So I was department chair of pediatrics for 15 years and I, um, I still did it. I think people, you know, give me a lot of support when I do it because they know that I, I have stuff to do, but I think they enjoy when I'm there. It, it get, you know, gives them an ear and I get to see the nitty gritty. It makes me a better person. It makes me, a better leader and it makes it, 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 it gives me mission. So that's why I continue, but I get, I got to say probably I may be the only CEO of Jones hospital in the country that continues to practice medicine. I was going to say you, you don't sit in some ivory tower somewhere. You are there. I try to be um, because I always wanted that of my leaders. You know, my, my leadership style is to be a servant leader that I, so that I'm working for you. And for me to work for you, I have to know who you are a little bit more. And, they, you know, t- people start to whine and complain. And you, you could say, uh, you know, they're just whining and complaining until you, you get in their shoes and say, well, they have a pretty good reason to be whining. You know, this, this electronic medical record really does suck and things like that. Uh, so you got you to gotta sort of try to walk the walk, I think to make yourself the best. Dr. Greenspan's profile within Nemours was raised recently when he was tapped by Dr. Larry Moss and the clinical leadership team to take on the role of incident commander overseeing the enterprise-wide response to the coronavirus pandemic. A little bit about the Incident Command System, or ICS. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, ICS refers to the combination of facilities, equipment, personnel, procedures, and communications operating within a common organizational structure, such as Nemours, and designed to aid in the management of resources during incident response, in this case, COVID-19. And the incident commander has oversight and decision-making responsibilities over all of it. It's not a job for the faint of heart, and not one that Dr. Greenspan sought. Yet he was one of the first to raise awareness at a top level that the situation warranted an organized, enterprise-wide response. We saw it coming in February. We developed Enterprise Incident Command, which is 
never has never been done before at Nemours. So that was Florida, Delaware Valley, and I was given the gift of leading that. And um, we became an incredibly effective team, shut down everything possible. You know, we're, we're whatever, $92 million off budget, um, but it was there to save lives and save and, 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 and it did. And it also helped, so it helped us come together as an enterprise. It helped us become incredibly creative. It also helped us become very connected to the state, which has never happened in our whatever, eight, in almost 90 years. We helped test adults. We became a real partner with the governor who, you know, calls me Jane Howell, which is pretty cool. And, um, you know, there's so many silver linings of this horrible pandemic times two uh, that I think we're going to be in a better place forever because of it. And that pivot started in, you know, early March. Who would have thought, you know, we would be this far from telemedicine to, you know, collaborations uh, to, you know, just how we practice medicine to keeping each other safe and caring about each other deeply. You know, we've made a lemonade out of this lemon. Did I hear you correctly in that you were the enterprise-wide incident commander? Yes. You say that with hesitance. Another short straw gig. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, they picked the right person for no, the you job. You know what happened? It's really funny, Carol. So I called Larry and I said, this is back late March, uh, February. And I said, Larry, you know, I don't know where this pandemic is going, but Florida just called an emergency. They had a couple because Florida and New York were the East Coast highlights because that's where people come into. And we had not a single case yet in Delaware. And I said, I think we, we should do enterprise here because it's going to be, we see the hurricane coming. That's what, you know, commands designed for, like <laughs> things like hurricanes or fires. Mm-hmm. But um, so he said, great, I'm going to get our clinical leaders to pick an incident commander. And so he, he, he reached out to the clinical leaders and they said, oh, that's Greenspan's idea. Make him be the lead. I think it was almost a joke. You know, I think it was almost like, well, uh, this will teach him for opening his stupid mouth. Uh, and of course, Larry called me and said, uh, you're it. And I, I, I'm actually writing a book on this, Carol. I mean, I never say no. And that's a problem, but I, it usually works out really well. And it did in this case. And I gave you the other. So, so I got this team together. I figured out what I was doing. We've had a great team ever since. We still meet. We've become good friends via Zoom. And we work where it's really tight. We've done some great work, great, great work. Uh, I can tell the other yes moment was when the governor called all the CEOs of of Delaware. That's not that many. There's only six of us. But he called us. It sounds like a lot. I mean, it's not like New York or Connecticut. We'd be calling a lot of people. But he called called us and said, could anybody set up? And I think we need an extra 200 beds for adults. Anybody set that up in their their area? So, you know, do you have a parking lot or someplace that we could pitch a tent. And I, of course, said yes, because <laughs> that's what I do. And man, it really worked out. That's why the governor was there all the time working with me. We pitched it up. It never was used. But, you know, the state has always, has said multiple times how much they appreciate Nemours because of us, what we did. Uh, I think there's just been so many silver linings for Nemours. You know, that's what I, I you know, I've got this dream job of interim CEO and, and like, I'm just, you know, just working every day to make it make a change in the health of kids and and, and make the make the wars better. Are you still in incident command now? Uh, we, we meet weekly just to keep tabs because it's going up. You know, the R's are going up. But the um, 
we stood down about two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and then, you know, now it's hitting the fan in Florida. The thing is that we've had hurricanes, we've had blizzards. Uh, we did have H1N1, but everything was done locally. So there's a Florida Instant Command and there's a Delaware Instant Command. But this was the first time we said, let's just do Enterprise. And it was a really good move because we shared PPE and we shared practices. We're all doing exactly the same thing. We, we, we shared talent. And it made us better and uh, made us more enterprise-like, which has been a real challenge for Nemours. We sent out a, a, a daily email for like three months on, you know, this is what the PPE is doing. This is, a, you know, this is what we see going on. And we added, Carol, a silver lining, we called it, which was a video. You know, we, you know, we had some TikToks from like the NICU uh, or we had, um, you know, thank you notes from patients that just keep, p- keep people engaged and cheered. You know, so it was, it was a lot of positives around Instant Command. I've gotten a lot of comments on um, how great that team was and, uh, you know, how it kept people safe. I've had people come up to me in the hallway. So the other thing we did was we didn't lay off anybody. No one got furloughed. That was Larry's idea. I've had nurses come up to me as, as recently as yesterday, and give, you know, give me a virtual hug to say that that just meant so much to them. It made them so proud to work at the worst. Dr. Jay Greenspan is a neonatologist, CEO of the Nemours Delaware Valley Region, and incident commander overseeing the Nemours enterprise wide response to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Finally, today, doctors and nurses are held in high esteem in our society. Drive down any street right now, and you'll likely see a lawn sign or a billboard indicating just how heroically they are hailed. Yet, they are human and they are fallible. So how does a doctor prepare for failure? I asked this question of pediatric orthopedist Dr. Alfred Atunda recently. Here's what he had to say. I can't even really put it into words, but I think failure is almost kind of like motivation for me to prove that, you know what, this particular situation didn't go as well as I would have liked or hoped, but I'm going to try my hardest to make sure that doesn't happen again, or I'm going to try my hardest to make sure another patient doesn't have to go through that, or I'm going to try my hardest to make sure I don't have to go through that. Because one thing that, like you said, we kind of put doctors in this kind of different category that's not human almost, like we're like robots. Like we go to work, we do our job, we train, we do all this stuff, we help people but you're not supposed to show emotion. You're not supposed to, to, to feel like you failed. You're not supposed to cry, especially in surgery. It's, 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 it's just not the culture. And um, I just don't quit, you know. And um, I know winners never quit and quitters never win, you know. And I'm, I'm trying to win the game and be happy and be fulfilled with what I do and obviously be strong and, 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 and powerful for my own patients. And I think... You know, when they fail or something happens that we don't expect, like we are all in it together. Like it's not, oh, well, you know, this patient hurt their knee again next and move on. I mean, it's like, okay, well, little Johnny here, like what are we going to do for him? Not just physically like fix his knee or his shoulder again, but like mentally are we going to, you know, suggest he talk to one of our therapists or folks in our psychology department? Do I need to, to have another call with him this evening to really spend half an hour, 45 minutes talking with them to really work through it with them. And we come up with it on a case by case basis. I don't have an algorithm for, for how to get through adversity with our patients. And it's an interesting question because doctors, a lot of times we don't ask these questions of ourselves. We don't, no one 
whatever usually come up to me and say, how do you deal with failure? It's like, oh, how do you make sure your, your surgeries are successful? But when you do have a failure, and obviously, technically, I know how to get through surgical, you know, non-ideal situations, but emotionally and mentally is the key. And I've learned that just in the last three to four years that that's, that's a very big part of what I do. It's funny that you bring that up because not so much with failure, but I, I've started, I do YouTube videos, <laughs> believe it or not, for my patients, like educational videos, but I also do those for other physicians. I, I give talks around this hospital and, and at other hospitals nationally. I'm giving grand rounds in a couple of weeks um, at University of Wisconsin, and I'm going to talk about like how to find your calling and how to find purpose, how to survive the transition from training to being a full surgeon or a full physician. Because a lot of what we get prepared to do is taking tests and passing your boards and getting your license and credentialing and, you know, all the orthopedic anatomic medical stuff. But when you show up day one for your job, you don't have a manual of like, well, how do you do this? How do you handle failure? How do you deal with your boss if they yell at you? How do you deal with somebody who may die? How do you deal with, you know, working all the time, but your spouse wondering why you're not home more? How do you deal with your kids not being available to them? I I never knew how to do any of that. I was like, okay, August 2011, finally, I've climbed the hurdle and reached the summit. I'm getting my job. Where do I sign? Okay. And then there's all these things that you have to deal with that have nothing to do with orthopedic surgery, you know, but you have to get through them. And like a lot of other things in our lives, there aren't any owner's manuals for a lot of the things that that physicians and other providers are going to face. So long story short, I try my hardest to, to reach out and to really make sure that the physicians and the providers are okay, make sure that we're as strong as we can be, make sure we have the resources for the emotional and mental struggles that we're going to face. And it's not the medical culture. You know, they, we, we teach people to be doctors, but not necessarily how to be human doctors. You know, it's nobody's fault. It's just the way, you know, medical culture and society has played out. But I'm doing my little bit. So, you know, yeah, I make videos and I go around and I talk to people because I know I, I can't be the only doctor out there that was in for a little bit of a shock when they started their job. It's like jumping in a freezing cold swimming pool. If you know how to swim, you'll manage and you'll get through, but it's going to hit you like a ton of bricks. So at least if you know, oh, well, you know, maybe I should wear a wetsuit before I get in. You know, if you're prepared and have some of those tools of, of how to cope, um, I think that can be really, really beneficial. And that's a very long-winded answer to how do you prepare for failure, but uh, I, I prepare for it every day and I'm still learning how to deal with it. I don't think I'm perfect at it, but along the way, I'm hoping to try to inspire other people, not just to deal with medical clinical failures, but also deal with just being a busy physician provider in this very kind of chaotic healthcare system that we all exist in. And being a human being. Oh, that too, right? (laughs) How to be a person 101. Dr. Alfred Atanda is a pediatric orthopedist at the AI DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington, Delaware. Thanks to Dr. Atanda and Dr. Greenspan for sharing time with us on the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. Next week, we'll delve into addressing racial and ethnic disparities in the healthcare workplace, starting with a look at the White Coats for Black Lives event held across the Nemours enterprise recently. I hope you'll join us. 
Become part of the podcast yourself. Email your stories, your ideas to podcast at Nemours.org. That's podcast at Nemours.org. Our production team gets my kudos, as always. Peter Adebi and Deborah Griffin, thank you for providing your time and talent to the efforts behind the scenes. Subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and there are so many others. That way you won't miss an episode. And don't forget, you can always tell your smart speaker to play the Champions for Children podcast. Our theme music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions in Fall River, Massachusetts. I'm Carol Vassar. Thanks for listening to the Nemours Champions for Children podcast. And as always, thank you for all you do for the kids we serve.